Praise the Lord, everyone. Isn't God good? His healing virtue is in this house. We're so thankful to feel it. Surrounded by his presence and goodness. There's just nothing like the presence of the Lord. Simply nothing like it. If you've never been lost in his presence, you've never been home. It's just nothing like our King and our Lord. So glad that he is here. There's such healing virtue coming forth from him and an open heaven over us right now for any type of healing that is needed to be released and to flow powerfully and prophetically in this room throughout this service. Not just one time, not just at one altar call, but throughout the service. You can be healed by our Lord at any given time. Any given time. In the worship, in the preaching, in the response to the preaching that we, we often call altar call, whatever it is, whenever it is, our God is here to heal you because he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whatever work the enemy has wrought, God can reverse it and obliterate it and remove it and its influence from your soul and from your spirit. Before you leave this house today, you can be free of anxiety, fear, depression, insomnia, infirmity, cancer, sickness of any kind and any variety. Our Lord Jesus can heal you before you leave this house. And at any time that you're in his presence, he can touch you and make everything change in your life. God is so good. I just feel to remind someone this morning that's struggling under the weight of whatever label you've put upon yourself or somebody else has put upon you. In America, we like to label stuff. In Western society, we like to label stuff. It's what we do. They're Democrat. They're Republican. They're liberal. They're conservative. They're whatever. They're climate deniers. Their climate this, whatever it is. We love to label people, and it's lazy. It's intellectually lazy to label somebody. Because if I label you, then I don't think I have to love you. If I label you, I think everything is done. But the Word of God says you'll know them by their fruit, not by their label. You have to get close to fruit to inspect it. you got to have a relationship with the fruit and the individual to be able to inspect it. But we like labels because it's easy. And it's just intellectually laziness. It's just, that's all it is. But I see in the book of Revelation, I see Jesus saying that he was standing in the midst of the menorahs, the candlesticks that represent the churches. He's in all of them. That's what he said. He's in all of them. We look at some of those churches and we like to assign labels to them. And they can take the shape metaphorically of individuals and we can assign labels to them. Some of them sounded liberal. There's a label. Some of them sounded conservative. There's a label. But Jesus was in the midst of all of them. Here's why. Because in the Hebrew language, according to Jesus the Messiah, the adjective could never come before the noun. In his language, Jesus never saw a blind man. 
Because the adjective can never precede the noun in Hebrew. So when he's looking at people, he doesn't see an adulterous woman. He doesn't see a blind man. He doesn't see a lame man. He sees a man temporarily in the custody of blindness. And he's on his way to alter the adjective in his life. He sees a woman temporarily in adultery and he's about to raise her up into reconciliation, into redemption because a label is a Western concept. It's not a kingdom culture concept. It's a Western thing. Here to tell somebody this morning suffering underneath the burden of a falsely assigned label. You're not Hester Prynne. You don't have a scarlet letter. Jesus sees you as a son. Jesus sees you as a daughter. You're not defined by your weakest moments. Jesus remembers you and looks at you through the lens of his love. You can be freed from every label that you're struggling underneath today. There are no drug addicts in this room. There is no addicted personalities in this room. Only sons of God. Only daughters of God. Just waiting to be liberated, reconciled redeemed and restored I struggled immensely right here in this city lifting my head anytime I came to church those of you that remember me when I first came in 2002 you can testify to this you know why I was under a label drug addict drug abuser misfit backslider perpetual mess up fighter whatever it was whatever you wanted to call me troublemaker, anarchist hellion, rebellious, I heard them all and so I'm still in the presence of God but I don't understand that he doesn't see me like that He doesn't see a label on me. The only label that he sees that you could even say is a label is that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm pleased with him because he's pursuing me. And I just want to remind somebody that Proverbs 31 was written about Bathsheba. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Because we all want to be the Proverbs 31 woman if you're a woman. This doesn't apply to men, clearly. But if you're the Proverbs 31 woman, that's what you're reaching for, right? That's an incredible woman. That's a spiritual woman. That's a godly woman of holiness. I just want to remind you that was written about Bathsheba, whose beginning looked a lot different than Proverbs 31. But Bathsheba's beginning did not define her. And your beginning does not define you. It's not how you finish. It's not what it looks like at halftime. It's the end. How you finish the game. Not how you begin. Not how you start. How you finish the game. If you finish it at his feet, everything's okay. Thank you, my friend. You're kind. Just want to remind somebody, Bathsheba's beginning didn't look very good, but she's recorded in heaven. 
as a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. It doesn't matter what your road looks like. You can finish. You can start the next chapter. You can start the beginning of your chapter 31 in your life today, right now, in his presence. It doesn't matter what they call you. It matters what you answer to. Amen? And I only answer to him. He's my father. He's my source. He is my king. He defines me. He alone defines me. He alone defines you. His love defines you. And that's it. Nothing else can define you. Don't let it define you. That's called idolatry. One of the things that anything not his love that defines me is called idolatry. No matter what it is, good or bad, idolatry is anything that defines me that's not the love of God, not the presence of God, not the peace of God. There's a prophetic spirit in this house. I just want to prophesy to somebody on this Super Bowl Sunday, it's time for you to make a comeback. This is the year of your comeback. This is the year where it looked really bad coming out of the tunnel at halftime until you got on the field in the third quarter and you started making the right reads and throwing the right passes and you brought your family, your team back with you. This is the year of your comeback. This is the year. Not defined by what happened to you in the first half, the first quarter, the second quarter. Anybody remember? This is a carnal analogy. You just have to forgive me. But I like sports, and they're good for really good analogies. Not too long ago, the Patriots, my favorite team, were in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. You can hate me later. They were down 28-3 to in the third quarter. Didn't look good. Looked bleak. Very disappointing. I was getting text messages left and right. People mocking me, making fun of me, laughing at me. And then Tom Brady came out and started throwing darts. Started shredding the secondary. Brought his team all the way back. 28 to 10, 28 to 17, 28 to 24. They go into overtime. Only Super Bowl in history, they go into overtime. Win the toss, get the ball, go down the field, score a touchdown, win the game. This is the year for that kind of comeback in your life. This is your year. If you believe that, can you clap your hands? If that doesn't apply to you, believe it for somebody else. Believe it for another person's family. Believe it for another person's spouse. This is the year of your comeback. Doesn't matter what you've been through. This is the year of your comeback. Where you step out of the shadows of things that cause you to keep making the same mistakes, reoccurring defeats, reoccurring issues. This is the year you reverse your story. This is the year you partner with the presence of God as never before. You co-author your life of destiny alongside him as never before. And you see what you couldn't even think to ask, which we spoke about last time a little bit. God is so good, and there's such a prophetic spirit in this house. Such a prophetic spirit. And when I say that, this is what I mean. I don't want to just glance over it and leave some nebulous statement out there in the air. When I say prophetic spirit, the prophetic is 100% about and only about revealing the heart of God, revealing the mind of God. It's not about revealing somebody's ministry so they can be famous. That's trash. It's got nothing to do with that. 
the prophetic is about revealing the heart, the thoughts, and the mind of God over individuals and cities and nations. That's what the prophetic is about. You don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from him today. You don't need my opinion or my perspective. We need the perspective of heaven. We need a prophetic perspective to fill this house and surround us today. There's a prophetic spirit here. Look no further than Ezekiel. When God said, I want you to prophesy to the valley of dry bones, what did he do? He then picks him up, and where does he place him? This is what God is about to do to some of you. I'm prophesying to you right now. He put him in the midst of the valley. He didn't say prophesy from a perch lifted high above the valley. He didn't say prophesy while you're completely different. You're completely over here, not even connected to the valley. He said, you're going to prophesy in the context of prophecy. I'm going to put you in the middle of the valley, and you're going to declare my heart to a dead congregation. Some of you have connections that are dead, dry, dusty, ashen, lifeless people. Please stay in their lives. One of the most staggering statistics that we've looked at over in Asia when I was there together is a statistic that literally says that after three to five years, when a person comes into Christianity, after three to five years, every single one of their connections are Christian. You're going to think that sounds good. I'm here to tell you that's bad. We're the light of the world. You have to be connected to something dead if you want to see it transformed by the power of God. All my friends can't look like me. All my friends can't act like me. I have to be willing to get out and make connections and build relationships with people that need this. I'm supposed to be the light of the world. That means I need to be in it speaking his light. I need to declare it. Think back to the three Hebrew children, what they did. They brought them in with Daniel, three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what's amazing about that? That's not their Hebrew names. You know what that means? They came in. This is how you transform a culture. You can't transform anything you're not willing to connect to and touch. They came into the culture. And they said, we're going to change your names. They said, oh, that's okay, that's fine. We're going to teach you our sciences. They said, oh, again, that's okay. You're going to have to learn the language. Okay, we'll learn the language. You have to wear some different clothes. All right, we'll learn, wear some clothes. You're going to have to meet, eat meat, sacrifice to idols. They said, wait, hold up. Got word for that. Can't go there. I'm willing to blend. I'm not willing to bow. I'm willing to connect with you, but I'm not bowing where there's a written word from God. I'm not going back on what is written. I'm not redacting the forever settled word of God. If there's a word for it, you stand on it. 
You don't change it because I didn't write it. The Spirit of God wrote it, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. If it's written, I'm standing on it. If it's written, I'm preaching it. Not going to stop because man didn't give it to me. Jesus did. That's how you change a culture. They did it perfectly. That's why their story is recorded in the Word of God. So they went along a little further. They were diplomatic about it as well. Didn't protest like a bunch of crazy people. Didn't get militant. Didn't take to Facebook and start ripping the emperor. Not what they did. They just said politely, you just bring us pulse and watch what our God does to our countenance and our body and our ability and our health. When we stay in the forever settled word of God. Then they went a little further along. They said, well, now we want you to bow to this statue. And they said, uh, yeah, no, that's in there. Can't do that, sorry. I'd rather burn than bow. Not going to do it. When you have that kind of backbone, when you have that kind of spine, and you're willing to stand on what's written, no matter what everybody else is doing, no matter what the culture's saying, God comes down from heaven and stands with you. You're not standing by yourself. You're standing next to the king you're standing for. So they threw him in the fire, but Jesus just joined him. God, the son of God, just joined him and walked around in the fire with him. Because when you're willing to blend, but you're not willing to bow, you're not going to burn. You have to be able to connect to something if you want to see it transformed. I want to encourage you to make a friend this week that doesn't look anything like you. I want to encourage you to make a friend this week that can't even be considered Christian. Is that scaring anybody? Don't let it scare you. Don't let fear be the driver of your destiny. Let faith be the driver of your destiny. I've got more faith in the cure than I do the disease. Because when Jesus came, he changed everything. You see, in the past, when the sacrifice was touched by something unclean, the sacrifice became unclean. But when Jesus came, He was the sacrifice. He was the living sacrifice. And whatever touched him became clean. That's why they grabbed the hem of his garment and every single person that did it was made whole. They're touching the sacrifice and God transformed them. They're touching the sacrifice and they became clean. Those that were unclean became clean by touching The supernatural power of God. You are the living, animated arcs of the covenant. Do you believe that? You're an animated, living vessel of Almighty God. His presence is inside of you. You are an ark of the covenant. You tell me what environment the ark ever entered that it didn't change it from top to bottom. That's what we were designed to do. That's what we are supposed to be doing. Any environment we enter, just ask God to release his presence through you. 
Ask God to release his power through you. You walk through temples of idolatry and things are going to start shaking. Pillars are going to start shaking and quaking and cracking under the power of the one true living God. Wherever you go, his presence is with you. Ask him to release it. Don't hold it in like a reservoir. Ask him to release it like a river of life. That's the prophetic. I'm going to tell you, God is going to send you out to valleys of dry bones. Here's what you don't do. This is not the prophetic. I'm going to tell the valley how dead it is. That's celebrated sometimes. I let them have it, man. I showed up. I told them all. They were all lost. I told them exactly what was wrong with them. That's celebrated at times. And I'm not going to lie. There's times for that. Because you can correct people. It's part of the gospel. There's a great capacity for correction in the context of love. But it's not prophetic to show up to the dead bones and say, you are dead. You are dry. You are lifeless. You can't beat somebody over the head with a baton, the next generation. Beat them over the head with a baton and then wonder why they don't want to take it from you later. doesn't work that way, my friends. He said, I want you to prophesy to the dry bones. So I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to put you in the dryness. And what you're going to speak is the opposite of what you discern. That's what they did. They saw dryness and they spoke life. That means you don't walk up to an addict and say, man, you are addicted. You are wrecked. You just lost all credibility with them. They're going to have to find healing from another source. You just lost it. When you discern death, you prophesy life. When you discern dryness, you prophesy a river of living water into that life, into that situation, into that relationship. That's what Ezekiel did. He said, bones, you're going to start to come together. Humerus connected to the radius and all. Phalanges come together. Bones come together. Spines assemble. Tissue come upon you. Capillary beds be formed. Veins come together. Cardiovascular system materialize out of thin air. Skin cover the organs. Stand up a great, mighty, exceeding army. Does it sound like he's telling him how dead he thinks they are? Vast majority of my ministry is to millennials in DFW. You know the worst thing you can do? Go to a millennial and tell them how messed up you think their generation is. You know what we do? See ya. Awkward. You walk away and you no longer have real credibility with that individual. You burned it. You know why? You're outside the spirit of the prophetic. You're outside the nature of God. Especially if you don't have any relational connection with them. If you have a relational connection, then there's a capacity within love to have confrontation. But if you don't have a relational connection and you've not built relational equity, what are you doing? You're losing the connection that is necessary for transformation. I cannot transform anything I'm unwilling to touch. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't flow that way. 
But you find the good and you speak to it. You do what Paul did at the Acropolis in Athens. There's a lot of negativity at the Acropolis. We lived in Athens, Greece for a time. I can promise you there's a lot of negative stuff you could speak to. I promise. It's there and it was there then. He didn't walk up and say, you know what? You guys are really immoral. You're immodest. You're ungodly. You're pagan. You're lucky I'm here among you. Not a good way to start the revival in Athens. But what did he do? He said, I perceive you're religious. He found the one thing, and he had to look real hard, trust me. He found the one thing he could speak life to, and he spoke life to it. And he connected to them. He affirmed them. He mentioned some of the authors that come from their culture. He was well-read. He was educated. He began to connect to them. And that's one of the only cities in the entire ancient world that didn't stone him or throw him out. They invited him back up to Mars Hill, where my family and I have stood many times. They invited him back up to teach a series Think about that. Here's a one God, Jesus' name, tongue-talking, rabbinical preacher, invited back to Athens, Greece, by pagans to preach to them again and again and again. And he met with them many days and spoke life. And an apostolic church was created by the power of God and the presence of God and the love of God because somebody was willing to speak life to a generation that clearly had death, dust, and decay. Don't speak what you discern. Speak the opposite of what you discern. God is going to send you out. Many of you that are hungry and willing, he's going to send you out into someone's life, into the atmosphere of somebody's chaos. Do not speak simply what you discern. Speak the opposite of what you discern. Speak life. Discernment's not a speaking gift. It's a knowing gift. So I know it so that I can speak the opposite of it. I call the things that are not as though they were. How many of you will agree with me you're going to do that this week? You're going to step out in faith. You're going to step out of your comfort zone. You're going to try to connect to somebody that doesn't look like you and isn't like you, and you're going to try to speak life to them. If you're going to do that, clap your hands unto the Lord. He wants to anoint you right now with the wisdom to do it, the power to do it. The grace to do it. The Bible says very clearly, he that wins the souls is wise. Doesn't say anything about passion. Passion is a good thing. But when it comes to soul winning, passion can be married to anti-wisdom very quickly. Very quickly. Yes, sir. You can do something stupid if you're passionate, but you're not being led by wisdom. 
So what God is going to baptize this church with in 2020 as never before is wisdom and prophetic ministry. I prophesy it in the name of Jesus, the living God and King of heaven. He is baptizing you with a spirit of his wisdom, his heart and mind, and prophecy. I'm not talking about the office of a prophet. I'm talking about prophetic gifts, prophetic personalities. To speak life where there is death. God is about to give this church a revival and a harvest of people you've never seen before. The future leaders of Cornerstone are out in the city right now. Some of them even on their way moving to this city right now. You're going to find them, connect to them, speak life to them, speak the prophetic into their mind, loose the prophetic in the kingdom of God into them as never before, and watch as they partner with God and God changes them forever. I know because God brought me here from somewhere else. From hours away, he brought me here. By his grace, we were able to be here for six years. Changed my life forever. East Texas changed my life forever. You're going to do the same thing for others, many others. There's missionaries out there in the streets right now. There's praise singers out in the streets right now, Bible study teachers in the streets right now. Some of you, I feel it right now so strongly. There's a great anointing of the wisdom and power and prophetic nature of God upon you to walk into living rooms and teach Bible studies that set entire families free. Does anybody believe that in this house? You're anointed for it. You're designed for it. Some of you, your ministry is going to develop in those living rooms. Don't look for a pulpit. Look for dryness. Look for dead bones. Don't look for preaching time in a pulpit somewhere. Look for an opportunity to speak the heart of God and the mind of God to somebody in their living room or at a coffee shop, wherever you meet with them. Because those are the ministries, unconventional ministries, God's going to electrify and use powerfully to change the entire complexion of this church in 2020. Does anybody believe that in this house? Because I believe it with every fiber of my soul. I believe it. It's what God is thinking over you. It's what he's declaring over you. It's what he's speaking over you. And some of you, before that happens, before that can transpire, God needs to heal some things in your past. And very quickly, in just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about healing your history. Healing your history. Because if I'm not healed of my history, then I speak out of my hurt. I don't speak out of his heart. Never follow a hurting person. Because if I'm speaking out of my hurt, I'm creating a mob and not a church. I have to speak from healing. I have to speak from love. I have to speak from a foundation 
of the kingdom coming in my life. Will I be perfect? No. But my pursuit of him will be perfect. I won't be perfect, but my pursuit of his presence will absolutely be perfect. Revelations 1 and 8, you don't have to stand. I'm going to read it very quickly. It says this, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. Pay attention to this phrase. He who is presently, who was in the past, and who is to come, the Almighty, the ruler of all. Multiple times God reveals himself in this template. I'm the God that is, the God in front of you right now, that you're encountering right now. Now I have to become the God of your was. Notice the pattern. So that I can become the God of your is to come. You got to be healed before you can be released. You got to be healed before you can go forward. You have to go back with him so that he can heal your past. This is a relationship progression, not simply titles. He's the God of my is, the God of my was, and the God of my is to come. Far too often, and in my life, I was paralyzed in the progression of relationship at the God of my is. And there were things in my past I endured as a teenager that I was not allowing him to heal, not allowing him to have access to, and healing has to be engaged. It's not involuntary. You're not thrown down at the altar and healed. He created you a choice, free moral agency. So you have to say, God, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to co-author with you, and I'm going to take a walk with you in my timeline. I'm going to go back with you in my past, and I need you to heal that little boy that was abandoned by parents. I need you to heal this little girl that was abused by people. You have to walk with him through your timeline so he can heal you of your past. Then he becomes the God of my is to come. Also, and this helps tremendously to know, God isn't just telling me who he is here. He's telling me where he is. Think about that. This blew my mind forever. Just a few weeks ago, God showed me this. He said, son, you focused on the who and that statement, the God that is, that was, and is to come. I'm not just telling you who I am. I'm telling you where I am. I'm in the past, I'm in the future, and I'm in the present all at the same time. Think about that. Before Abraham was, I am. Time, according to Einstein, is a dimension just like space. If God, some of us we have, I had unilateral knowledge of his omnipresence. I only thought in the sense of space. He's everywhere at the same time. He's here, he's in Singapore, he's in Greece, he's in India, he's in South America, all at the same time. Of course, we know that. But he also fills all of time, which also is a dimension that can be occupied. He fills all time and space simultaneously. 
at the same time. I'm going to make a statement you're not going to be comfortable with. Are you ready? I'm warning you. You're not going to like it. It's going to sound wrong. It's impossible for God to know something before it happens. I told you you wouldn't like it. And your deafening silence speaks to that fact. I didn't like it. It's like, what do you mean? He can't know something before it happens. And then he began to unravel the mystery for me. He said, there's a reason. Because you can't bind me or limit me to words like before and after. He said, I know what's going to happen because I am in the past, in the present, and in the future at the same time. I know what's going to happen because I've seen it happen. Oh, we don't like that either. It's mind-blowing. He knows what I'm going to do because he's seen it. Because he feels all time and space. To say he knew it before it happened brings to mind thoughts and foundations of predestination which can't be true because God wanted to be freely loved and you can't be freely loved by a people that don't have free will. So there has to be choice involved in the equation. So God said, I know it because I've seen it. If you've seen a story, if you've seen something happen before, you're not controlling it. You know because you've seen it. You're not manipulating it. You know because you've seen it. If I know that Leonardo DiCaprio dies in the 1997 movie Titanic, and I tell you before it happens, I didn't make him die in the icy waters. You can laugh, it's okay. I didn't make him drown when there was clearly room for him on the raft. I just know because I've seen it. I'm here to tell you, God knows who's going to partner with him because he fills all time and space at the same time. That's how awesome he is. That's how powerful he is. That's how mighty he is. That's how good he is. That's what David meant when he said, if I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I go down into the depths of the ocean, you're there. If I go into Sheol and Hades, you're there. What happened there? Left time and space. Guess who's still there? God and all of his fullness and power and glory and goodness. We serve a God that the human mind cannot fully understand. That's why you have to trust him. Because you'll never fully understand him. He's a mystery. He's a marvel. But he's better than anything you could ever imagine. He's more loving than anything that you can postulate or imagine or come up with or project. He really is that awesome and that good. And he really is with you. And he really is for you. He wants to give you the kingdom. He wants to pour his love out upon you. Unfold his thoughts over your life. More than you want it. He wants you to partner with him so he can see it. Many are stuck at the level of God is my is because they refuse to allow him to become the God of their was. 
we see this when Jesus meets the apostle Peter. He says, Simon, that's who you are. That's his present day manifestation. Simon, bar Jonah. See where he goes with the address? Thou shalt be called Peter. You see what he just did? He introduced him in a different way. He introduced himself as the God that is, the God that was, and the God of your is to come. He said, Simon, I know who you are presently. Bar Jonah, son of Jonah, I know what your past is. I know about every single time in your timeline that you were broken and hurt. And I'm going to walk with you in the next three years, and I'm going to heal every single piece of your heart that has been damaged by your history. And then you're going to become Peter, Kepha in Hebrew. You're going to become the apostle whose shadow heals people. But you got to take a walk with me for three years first. Before your shadow heals multitudes, you're going to have to walk with me through your timeline. I'm going to have to heal every piece of your broken heart that exists in your history. I've got to be the God of Barjona. I've got to be the God of your father's house. I have to walk with you back through your childhood and mend the broken pieces back together so that you can become the mighty apostle that I want you to become. He's the God that is. Invite him in to be the God of your was so that he can become the God of your is to come. Your great and powerful future. I'm going to tell somebody this morning, just because you have buried it doesn't mean you are beyond it. You've buried some stuff, but just because it's in the ground doesn't mean you're beyond it. And when we wait too long to heal from losses or hurts, we're not grieving. We're grieving the spirit of God. We're grieving the healing process of God. We're imperiling our future when we refuse to heal from past hurts. This is what God showed me. That little boy in your timeline that was so broken and hurt, you buried that under the earth. And when you buried it, you thought you were beyond it. And you began to walk through your timeline. But what was buried grew a root system. And that root system began to follow you underneath your steps. And then later, in 2018, it began to manifest in my full-grown adult life. And I thought it was something else. But it was tied way back to what I buried when I was 14 years of age. Shame followed me because I didn't allow him to heal me. I didn't talk about it. I didn't seek counseling. I didn't ask him to heal the wound. I just kept moving forward. And that sounds brave and that sounds noble, but I'm here to tell you when it comes to your wounded spirit, when it comes to your heart, when it comes to your hurt, it's a deadly thing to do. I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to go numb to it. That root system underneath the pathway that you're walking, it's following you and it's going to erupt out of the surface. It's going to manifest. You just can't see it yet. But today... God said, I can take that entire root system and make it disappear. If you invite me in, I'll walk through your timeline at this altar today, and I'll heal every broken piece of your life. 
I'll heal every broken piece of your heart. That way, when you see presently, you're not seeing through the filter of your pain. You're not seeing through the filter of your hurt. You're seeing through the filter of the love of God that's healed you. You're seeing through the filter of the kingdom of God that is surrounding you and with you, waiting to be released from the inside of you. You see with his eyes, not your own. You see with a healed heart, and it changes everything. It literally changes everything. God showed me this, and I'm coming to a close. Musicians, you can come. He said, I want you to pray. That's what God began to deal with me about. In 2018, I faced things I'd never faced before in my entire life. I fought, I battled depression, and I'm here to tell somebody, the key is that you are fighting depression, not that you are depressed. Never say you're depressed. Never say you're anxious. You're fighting it. Because I prayed a lot of people out of it. I'd seen a lot of things happen where God completely brought them out. Seen a lot of transformations by God in people's lives. But in 2018, it came to my door and it asked for my name. It asked for me. And I said, okay, if you're here, then it's going to be a fight. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm fighting depression. I'm fighting. I'm partnered with God. I'm fighting through this. This does not define me. You are not bound by your biology. I want somebody to understand that in this house. You are not bound by your biology. Pills are not the answer. They can help. They have a place. God created our bodies to respond to certain medicines. That's why they work. God created that capacity within our bodies. I believe in medicine. I believe in counseling. I believe in all of that. I do not believe in addiction. You are not bound by your biology. I don't care if they're telling you your brain doesn't make enough serotonin. They don't even know what a balanced brain looks like. Trust me, look it up. It's a fact. They're just feeding you things because they don't know how to address the root cause of what's going on in your life. But God is here to address the root of what's happening so that you can be freed into everything he wants you to become. You can be freed and liberated into everything that he is speaking over your life. But he began to pray. He began to have me pray, rather, over the boundary or border of your spirit. He said, pray over the boundary of your spirit so that what is against you doesn't end up inside of you. There's a difference between hurting and bitter. Just like there's a difference between a cut and an infected cut. A wound and an infected wound. They're not the same. It can absolutely not be your fault that you're hurt. Probably isn't at all your fault that you're hurt. But let's be honest, sometimes it is. But it is my fault, and I need to own it if I refuse to heal. I need to stop blaming. Because if I'm blaming, I'm not in a position for healing. When I put all that to the side, and I say, God, it's just you and me, this is my heart. I'm not calling up anybody else. I'm not calling up witnesses and saying they did this and they did that. No, it's just me and you. 
because you know what judgment looks like? Just me and you. I don't get to call forth witnesses at judgment and say, because these people hurt me, I fell out of love with you. I don't get to go to the judgment seat and say, Jesus, I want you to look at these scars that I got at church. These scars are the reason I dropped out. These scars are the reason I stopped coming and stopped talking to you every day. These scars are the reason. He's going to look back at me and he's going to say, my scars prove my love for you. How is it that your scars removed your love for me? That's going to be the most impossible conversation to have at judgment. So now... I need to say, Jesus, I need you to walk with me through my timeline. I need you to heal me of my hurt. And we're out of time this morning. Maybe possibly we can finish some of this tonight. But if you could just stand with me all over this house. There's a prophetic spirit in this house right now that sees your hurt, but that's going to speak life to it. He sees your pain, but he's going to speak life to it. For far too long, some of you have been trying to heal the symptoms of what's going on, but Jesus is here to address the root and the source of what's going on. He's the God of your is. You need to invite him to become the God of your was so that he can be the God of your is to come. You have a powerful future. You have an amazing future. The anointing of God is upon this church in a mighty and powerful way. He's going to send you out to heal. He's going to send you out to minister. He's going to send you out to transform families in their very living rooms with his word, his power, and his goodness. But right now in this time and at this altar, he needs to heal you of whatever broken piece or broken part of your past still exists. Some of you, you've had phases of this, but God's wanting to complete it right now. Some of you, I need you to take Messiah. I need you to take Jesus back to that 8-year-old little girl or that 13-year-old little boy. Whatever it is and whatever happened to you, you need to ask him to come with you down at your timeline so that he can heal you forever of the things in your life and the hurt of your past. He wants to heal your history in this house right now. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Jesus is saying these altars are open. Jesus is saying I'm waiting for you because this has to be initiated by you. He's saying if you'll just come to me right now with openness. Come to me right now as a little child. I will heal every broken piece of your history. And you will see me as you've never seen me. You will know my love as you have never known it. You will experience my power in your future beyond what you can understand or even ask to think. Cornerstone, I'm here to tell you his thoughts over you are beyond anything you can imagine. His love for you is deeper than anything that you can imagine. And in this house right now, as they begin to sing and play unto the Lord, he's here to heal you in this moment. Don't rush it. Just let him heal you. Take a walk with him.
it. He's calling. He's drawing. Step out past the awkwardness, past the pain. Do you thirst for? 